We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Rotowire NFL DFS podcast. It is uh, week four. The season is uh, is getting through pretty quick here. I am Scott Jensted, joined today again by Derek Van Riper. If you could please rate or review the podcast, we'd greatly appreciate that. If you enjoy listening to us, uh, win some money from some Robert Woods uh, sneaky picks like last week, uh, go ahead and rate and review us. We'd greatly appreciate that. Uh, if you leave some good stars or good review, really important for the podcast. Uh, DVR, we're in week four. The season's going by quick. How are you? It is flying. I'm doing well, and uh, congrats to you on that Woods call. You <laughs> smashed the pentathlon last week. Hopefully, uh, your your paid entries also did well. Uh, yeah, it was a pretty good DFS week. Unfortunately, uh, it was all muted by the Jimmy G injury. Yeah, that's uh, definitely a, a big blow for you as a fan. Just, I mean, that with McKinnon, and I realize running backs are quite a bit more replaceable than than quarterbacks on multi depth charts and everything. It's just shaping up to be one of those years that's just not at all for the 49ers and it's weird because I think people are are just dumping on CJ Beathard based on some things he did on a you know in an offense where he was a rookie last year right. with 
banged up supporting cast. I don't know. Like, I, I think there's there's a little more reason to be optimistic there than people are, are making it out to be, at least from a, a garbage time production sort of perspective. But yeah, for you as as a fan of that team, that's uh, kind of a devastating blow to the 2018 season. Yeah, and even 2018 was kind of going to be that year for, you know, kind of meshing together and learning the offense a little more. But I thought it was going to be a really important year for Garoppolo just to play. I mean, he played five games last year, a couple games when Brady was suspended. He just hasn't played a lot of uh, football in the NFL. I mean, he's looked good, but, you know, I think he needed that full season to kind of get under his belt so that 2019 could be that really that year for the team. And uh, it sucks to lose that. You know, who knows how he'll come back if he's, uh, you know, fully ready for the start of the 2020. You think he would be, but... Yeah, you know, this it kind of pushes 2020 as the, you know, maybe contending year, which is a, disappointing as a fan for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, for the production, it was one of those situations where, you know, Marquise Goodwin, George Kittle both got propped up pretty good once Garoppolo arrived last season. I think your, your expectations for both of those guys fall a lot. Uh, maybe Matt Breida doesn't change a ton because they'll be checking down a lot, still yeah. using him pretty heavily. But uh, I'm worried about those top two pass catchers. Yeah, I am too. Although, uh, you know, Goodwin did have some good plays with Beathard. So, uh, you know, maybe that Shanahan can drop some stuff that uh, gets them open. But I definitely think it hurts Kittle, even though uh, Kittle and Beathard did play together at Iowa. Uh, it's definitely definitely a bummer. It was, uh, you know, the 49ers finally, uh, finally did something right at quarterback and it didn't work out. But uh, as we get into the uh, this slate, I wanted to ask you one question that kind of popped up for me last week on Sunday morning. Uh, how do you overall deal with weather in DFS? You know, last week uh, we had the, the Green Bay-Washington game, and I backed off a lot of my Aaron Rodgers shares uh, just based on the weather reports we're seeing Sunday morning, uh, especially with him just because he had the knee. I was just a little worried about how, you know how mobile he would be, how much they'd throw, that kind of stuff. I usually don't back off too much in weather, but that was one of the situations where I did. How do you usually deal with that, you know, kind of those Sunday reports on NFL Network or ESPN where the, the side of the report is standing in the snow or standing in the wind? Uh, how, how does that affect uh, what you do with your teams? You know, I think if you have an already hobbled player, someone dealing with a soft tissue injury or a quarterback like Rodgers who's got a, a knee issue, you look at players like that and you, you give them a slight downgrade if, if conditions are just wet. But I think you start avoiding situations that you ordinarily would like once you get up to like 20 mile per hour wins. I think right. that impacts the passing game so much that you know quarterbacks become kind of useless, pass catchers get dragged down and defenses can kind of overplay the run. Uh, so I, I think there's a few things like that. It's 20 mile per hour winds and, and worse, um, you know, snow when the time is appropriate, especially if wind is mixed in there. And then like heavy torrential rain. I don't think light rain is really that big of a deal. I think sometimes people maybe overreact to that. But if you're looking at I'm trying to remember who Carolina was playing it was maybe two seasons ago. Now, there was one of those games where, you know, it, it, it just seemed like standing water was going to be pooling <laughs> up on the field because it was coming down so fast. I mean, that type of rain is absolutely worth avoiding. So I think for me, it's mostly wind uh, before like worrying about temperature or anything like that. Yeah, I think I agree. I think I'm on the end of it. It's got to be something pretty extreme because, you know, light rain, you know, maybe you get your receiver that catches a pass and the DB slips or something like that. So you can, and even snow, you know, you see, we've seen LaShawn McCoy have really good games in the snow and running backs do really well there. But uh, I think I agree with you. Wind is a, wind is a big, big factor to me, mostly because it just changes game plans. You know, guys aren't as willing to throw the ball down the field, worried about interceptions. Uh, so wind to me and then anything, anything really extreme. I, I agree with you. I think people overrate uh, weather, especially Sunday mornings as people are tweaking and setting lineups. I think you're looking for any reason to kind of make that change. I think the teams, uh, pe- you know, fantasy owners usually uh, overreact to that a little bit. Yeah, unless you're Vlad, don't tinker. <laughs> well, Vlad, Vlad tinkers on on dreams and it works out. So that's that's a whole nother uh, level there. 
I don't have that superpower. I, I, I don't even dream about sports, which is kind of disappointing. And even if I did, I would doubt that they come true, you know, as any sort of prophecy. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on that one. Uh, looking at the week four slate, uh, it's interesting. We, we lose uh, we lose three good games. Uh, when you look at the Thursday night game, the Sunday night game, the Monday night game, we have uh, Minnesota Rams have a 48 over under. Baltimore, Pittsburgh's 51. And Denver and KC with that uh, that Chiefs offense is 55. We have Carolina and Washington on a bye this week, early, uh, early week four buys this week. So lose a couple of teams, lose some big scoring games, but still a couple of high over-unders. We have uh, Cincinnati, Atlanta's an over-under of 51 right now. And we have the Saints offense going into uh, New York. I was about to say New Jersey. That's where it is. But play the Giants over under a 50. That's the two games over 50. Uh, do either of those jump out to you as something you're really going to strongly attack? Yeah, I mean, a, a little bit. I think Atlanta's defense is one that, with the key pieces they're missing, yeah. they're they're vulnerable. They're vulnerable to the run. They're vulnerable to the pass. They have a good enough offense to go back and forth in a shootout. So I think just about every week until we start to see some signs of of backups stepping up and, and playing at a high enough level to change how they're how they're yielding yardage and points. I think you got to keep picking on the, the Falcons until there's a reason not to. So, uh, yeah, Bengals, I, I think, are, are really interesting. I think they might be a little lighter owned than some of the other teams that get to match up with the Falcons. I think there's still some general mistrust in the Cincinnati offense in general. I mean, A.J. Green is A.J. Green, and maybe the price on Gio Bernard is still low enough, but I think... Dalton in particular is one of those guys that a lot of people still don't trust. Yeah, it's interesting. You look at the Atlanta D in that middle of the defense with Keanu Neal and Deion Jones out. They've given up so much production to running backs out of the backfield. Granted, they played McCaffrey and Camaro, which changed a lot, but they've given up 47 catches in three games to, to running backs. That is absolutely amazing. And it just is. thinking about how Gio Bernard's used anyway, even, when, even if Mixon were playing, which he's not, this could be a good Gio Bernard week with another guy in the backfield, but the way they've been using him in Mixon's absence, uh, I think is really encouraging if you want to uh, plug Bernard in there again at, at his current price. Yeah, if you look at the the lower scoring games, we've got another game that involves the Jaguars. Uh, last week, they certainly went under that number with the 9-6 loss to the Titans. Uh, they are, uh, they're at home against the Jets. Over under there is 38.5. We also have Seattle headed to Arizona, who scored 20 points total on the year. Uh, over under there is uh, 39. I saw that you posted on Twitter some all the implied tolls for the week in Arizona, and uh, I think the Jets were the two lowest. Maybe Buffalo, those three teams were the three lowest. Uh, those are going to be some games uh, probably to avoid in DFS right there. Yeah, I mean, Buffalo should theoretically outscore Arizona because Green Bay's defense can leak big plays almost as well as the Saints can leak big plays. <laughs> uh, so unless Josh Allen's just having a, a pick fest or something coming off the big game last week uh, against Minnesota, I, I think the Bills end up being more competent than that implied total suggests. Uh, the Jags are kind of an interesting team because I don't think people really go crazy stacking them. And I think when you, you look at a team that's kind of middle of the pack and implied totals, they're at 23. They were such a disappointment last week. I think ownership bottoms out on Blake Bortles paired with Keelan Cole. Uh, so I think that's kind of an interesting tournament sort of stack if you want to do something really different. Yeah, week three was was odd in a couple spots, that Jacksonville-Tennessee game, and then obviously Minnesota losing to uh, Buffalo fairly handily as a, as a huge, gigantic fan. We were worried about... Vikings game script and not throwing the ball turned out they only scored six points that that should have been our main concern yeah I would have whiffed on that twice if we did on a podcast at the end of the first quarter I would have said oh this is awesome because now the Vikings are going to roll the bills and Kirk Cousins going to throw for 350 yards and three or four touchdowns so I would have got it wrong even with the first quarter in the books too 
How do you feel about uh, Minnesota facing the Rams tonight at the Coliseum? You think they you think they bounce back? You think the Rams roll them? What's your pick on Thursday night? You were uh, we both had that we both had the Browns last week, so we uh, we both called that win. Uh, what do you th- how do you see this Minnesota LA LA game uh, ending up? I think the Rams win, but I do think the Vikings keep it closer than that line. Last I saw, it was a full touchdown. Yep. The Rams were minus seven, so I would take the Vikings with the points, but I think the Rams win outright, probably by three or four. We're about on the same page there. I think I think Minnesota probably was looking ahead and was planning for this game instead of Buffalo, and you know, hopefully, as much as that hurt them against Buffalo, hopefully for their sake, this it'll help them against the Rams. Yeah, there's there's no way they weren't looking ahead. At least yeah. that was part of the problem, and uh, I, I'm definitely. Still buying into this team as one of the more talented rosters league-wide. I think we're going to look back at that that Vikings-Bills game. It's going to be one of the three flukiest games of the season. I mean, maybe the flukiest game of the season. But the other one that kind of stands out to me, just looking back for a second, Jets-Lions in week one. Like Oof, That's yeah. increasingly looking like a really strange first-week outlier. Yeah, especially after I mean after what the uh, Lions legitimately did to the Packers or the Patriots this week. I mean, they, it was not a fluky uh, fluky amount of yards and they they dominated that game 414 yards to 209. You look at that Jets game though the first week, you know, if you look a little closer the, the three turnovers really hurt them. They had more first downs than the Jets. They had only 10 less yards than the Jets. Special teams and those three turnovers really hurt them. It's amazing when you look at game by game in the NFL, you know, a couple plays here and there can turn a close game into a blowout pretty quick and you got to be really careful of overrating a team after one week or underrating them and I think that we we did that on the Lions yeah I definitely think that happened and I almost wonder if people are not underestimating New England just a little bit going to their matchup against Miami this week yeah I wonder about that too but I mean it's two weeks in a row where they've uh they've they've struggled on offense and gotten really lit up on defense I mean Detroit outgained them 414 to 209 uh Jacksonville had 481 yards on them on the week before they only had 302 yards I mean they got out first down badly in both games, and neither one was, uh, you know, them turning the ball over a lot to kind of create a score disparity. I don't know. The last two weeks, New England has looked very, very fragile, and it's, it should be an interesting game. Miami 3-0. and This is a perfect spot for New England to kind of, you know, reassess the, or re- uh, reaffirm their su- superiority over the division, but uh, this is the first time in a while I've thought, you know, maybe that New England's a little weak, but whenever you think that, they just bounce right back, right? Yeah, usually, especially in two in a row on the road, go back to Foxborough, a game they kind of need. I mean, if Miami wins this game, Miami goes to 4-0, and and the Patriots go to 1-3. and There's still plenty of time left, but that is a start that I think nobody would have expected if the Dolphins had to pull in that game out. Yeah, no uh, no doubt there. That's a pretty pretty big game early in the year that we didn't really anticipate being that important. Uh, last note on the overall slate before we uh, hit game by game. It uh, feels like this week's a little more interesting in terms of, uh, you know, kind of avoiding that uh, the obvious uh, running back chalk. You know, but usually last week it was due to injury, although Corey Clement and Latavius Murray were both terrible, so they didn't really work out in their obvious uh, running back chalk roles. Uh, Gio Bernard was pretty active, but... You know, maybe Geo this week with uh, with Mixon C out still out. Maybe some Sunny Michelle at fifty nine hundred that uh, you know people might uh, grasp onto. But it seems like we're missing that. You know, oh here's the thirty percent running back play to throw in your cash lineup this week. Yeah, and I think that's kind of a good thing. I, do too. I, I think it just it, it balances ownership out in a way that makes everything more competitive, and you don't feel trapped into playing one or two guys because the prices are, are so low. So I would agree with you in the two running back calls. I mean, I think Geo gets quite a bit of chalk, but not an overwhelming amount. Uh, and Sonny Michelle, if they're not going to move the ball as effectively through the air as we thought, maybe a heavier ground game is part of the plan. You know, Rex Burkhead going to IR really clears that path for Michelle, probably to get 15-plus carries week in and week out now. And I don't think he's going to be a ghost in the passing game. I know James White's going to get his, but we might be looking at a 20-touch back each week 
in the New England backfield, and that's not something that you often see. Yeah, it's interesting. You you mentioned percentages and talking about the chalk. I mean, I looked back last week before we got on the podcast, and you and I talked about Mahomes' percentage last week and, and Breeze and, and Matt Ryan. It's And it's still a thing. You know, when you get a full NFL slate, those percentages just aren't that high. Mahomes was 17.5% in the FanDuel Sunday Million. Uh, Drew Breeze was 6%. Matt Ryan was 9%. Garoppolo was 8.3%. So, you know, aside from a little bit of bump from Mahomes, which we still was probably under what we were guessing, uh, they, weren't, they weren't quite as high as, as we thought they'd be at the quarterback spot. So it seems like teams are really, uh, especially in GPPs, kind of diversifying and looking for different quarterbacks to hit on. Definitely. I think the uh, receiver list has one guy that might be used a lot more than or he ordinarily would be. That's Antonio Callaway. He's 4,500 on FanDuel, 4,300 on DraftKings. Baker Mayfield taking over at quarterback, going on the road to Oakland. You know, we'll talk about that game in detail. But I think that extremely low price on Callaway is going to make him one of those guys that catches a lot of extra chalk this week. Yeah, I think as people do their research and see the 10 targets last week, I think you're going to be right there. Anytime, anytime you get double-digit targets for a guy under 5,000, that, uh, that sparks ownership and interest a lot. And top-end speed. I mean, we're talking about yeah. a guy that I think with the next-gen stats has clocked in behind only Tyreek Hill for the fastest recorded speed on the field. Marquise Goodwin just showed you his Olympics tattoo. He's offended. He'll, he'll be out there soon. As soon as that, <laughs> that leg's completely healthy, he'll, he'll crack that, that top of that list. Did you see that last week when they asked him about Tyreek Hill and he didn't answer but just pulled up his sleeve and showed his Olympics <laughs> tattoo? It was beautiful. I didn't see that clip, but that that's perfect Marquise Goodwin. I loved it. So jumping into the games, we kind of very uh, quickly addressed uh, Miami headed to New England. New England, six-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, a lot of reputation in that line at one and two coming in the, to face the Dolphins at 3-0. and Overrunner in this game is a pretty good number at 47-and-a-half. Uh, starting on the Miami side of the ball, wanted to ask you how you thought about Ryan Tannehill. Comes in under 7,000 on FanDuel. He has multiple touchdowns in every game. Uh, New England's really struggled against the pass the last two weeks. Stafford had 262 and two touchdowns last week. Uh, Blake Bortles with 377 and four touchdowns the week before. Uh, potentially a nice game script, high over under, 47 and a half. They are a, a touchdown underdog, so should be throwing a lot in the second half. Uh, if you're going to save at quarterback, is Tannehill someone you're interested in? Yeah, he might be. It comes down to how many lineups I end up with this week. Uh, the challenge for me, I'm going to the Packer game, which is an early kickoff, so ah, it's nice. probably... Probably a smaller number of lineups than an average week. And I think with that, Tannehill maybe just falls short. But the setup is good. The price is low. Uh, we're seeing the Patriots give up a 93.9 you know, pass rating in these first three games. Uh, you could see the Patriots open up the lead if the game unfolds as Vegas expects. And that bumps up the attempts quite a bit. Uh, I'm not really overwhelmed by what we're seeing from the running game in Miami. And for Tannehill, it's just a question of who would you pair him with? Like yep. They've spread the ball around so much that... They don't have a pass catcher who's been targeted 15 times through the first three games. I think Jakeem Grant leads his team in targets, but there's five guys within four or five targets of each other, you know, including Danny Amendola, Kenyon Drake out of the backfield, Kenny Stills, who was really active in week one, kind of went quiet these last two games. Do you like anyone in particular with Tannehill in this matchup? That was my that was my big thing. Is You look at Albert Wilson, Jakeem Grant, and they had that trick play last week that, that was a big play, but... I had trouble trying to figure out who I would pair him with. I think it would probably be Kenny Stills. I just think he's still the most upside guy. In a tournament, he'd be the guy that I went with. Uh, the targets are not great. Five week one, three week two, five week three. But I think he's still their big play guy and the guy who's most likely to see the most action. But like you said, they're spreading it around so much. Uh, that, that makes it tough with Tannehill. It's hard to really pair him with someone. The Patriots have given up six touchdowns to wide receivers so far through three games. So they are uh, they are ripe to attack in the secondary. But I, like you said, I just... 
I don't know which guy you'd go with. And maybe if you play in a lot of lineups, you can kind of split those receivers. But uh, that was a tough one for me. I don't see anybody in the in the receiving core that I'm really attacking. I'd almost be more likely to just put Tannehill and Kenyon Drake in the same lineup and, and hope that if Tannehill throws three touchdown passes, you know, one goes to Drake and then maybe Drake rushes for another one or something in that you just hit it perfectly because as a duo, I don't think you're going to see a lot of people trying to pull that off. No, and if the game script worked out for you, he may be get, catching a, balls, a lot of balls out of the backfield, which could help too. Uh, on the New England side, like we, we mentioned earlier, their yards in that game against Detroit, the offense looked legitimately brutal, as bad as I've seen it in a while. Uh, Tom Brady this week is still priced way up at 8,600. Uh, what are you doing with this uh, New England offense? High over under as a favorite? Is there anybody in particular that, that, that you really want to play in this game? I always run back to Gronk. Like when things are not going yep, well in the New England too. offense and, and people are starting to just doubt them, like I still play Gronk because this offense could become a league average sort of output team and, and, and they'd still put a lot in Gronk's hands. So I think that's actually my first play. Sonny Michelle's fine. I just think the ownership rate's going to be a little high. We're still not locked in for sure on that usage that I suggested before. Uh, so I think it's just paying up for Gronk. And that's got as much to do with the tight end position still being garbage, which it probably will be all year, as it does anything else. Yeah, I love playing you know pure studs off not only one bad game, but two get bad games in a row. He has six catches for 66 yards total the last two weeks. Uh, I love getting studs off that. I always think that, that you know they're probably he's probably chirping a little bit in practice this week. He probably wants the ball a little bit more. You know Belichick and Brady obviously know that already. So I, I think if I go with anybody out of the game, it's Gronk too. Uh, how do you feel on Chris Hogan? He's playing a lot, but not really getting targets. He has 14 targets total in three games, and that's without Julian Edelman playing. I think we thought that uh, when Edelman was out, Hogan would be uh, you know way more uh, way more with the, with the targets. Uh, Miami just gave up six for 193 and a touchdown to your your old boy, Jordy Nelson. They gave up about 92 yards on seven catches to Quincy, a none with the week before. So you can throw on the Miami secondary. I just uh, I don't know if I can trust Hogan right now at 6,700 on FanDuel. It's really strange because they're getting turnovers, but they do yield some, some serious yardage totals. So kind of a, a strange little line for the Dolphins thus far. I don't think anybody's going to be on Hogan, so I think no. he becomes appealing in tournaments as a result. Uh, but that's kind of all I see him as, a tournament dart, kind of a third receiver that nobody seems to be interested in right now, but everyone loved him a month ago, you know, going to the final weeks of draft season. So moving on to the uh, next game, we have uh, Houston, who's surprisingly 0-3, headed to Indianapolis. Uh, nice game script set up here. Indy's fared by one. We have a close game with an over-under of 47. Uh, starting on the Houston side, uh, Deshaun Watson has been much better the last couple games after the, knocking off some rust the first game, but a lot of his production has kind of been game script related late. He's been, they've been trying to catch up late in games. Last week he had a touchdown, a meaningless touchdown to Lamar Miller at the buzzer that nobody's, nobody was really playing defense on that really added to his and Lamar still, Miller's stats. Uh, if I'm looking at Houston this week, I really like DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, Will Fuller's getting a ton of attention. He's priced up to 7,600. He's been a monster with the Sean Watson games. Everybody's talking about that across Twitter, across the NFL morning shows. He has a touchdown in all six games with Watson. But, you know, DeAndre's quietly still a target beast, 11, 11, and 10 in the three games. He's got 75-plus yards in every game. In terms of studs at the receiver position, he's the most consistent, and he's still got a ton of upside. I really like Hopkins this week at 8,600. I'm looking at the way Houston distributes targets, and it, it reminds me a lot of what the Steelers do with Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster. Yeah. And it's kind of like you're getting Hopkins as a, a slightly discounted Antonio Brown right now. Again, he's still priced up well over 8000 on both sites, but uh, a little lower than Michael Thomas, a little lower than Antonio Brown, a little lower than Odell Beckham. 
Uh, so I, I do like that slight advantage. I think you're right. People are going to be pulling more towards Fuller because they get the exposure without having to pay top dollar for it. And when situations break down that way, that's when you want to strike with that more expensive player. Uh, the Colts defense for me is a lot like the Dolphins defense. I'm really not sure if I believe in what we're seeing right now. Yeah. Uh, 7.1 yards per attempt allowed. You know, that's impressive. Only three passing TDs so far. Uh, but a 92.5 passer rating. One of those games came against Alex Smith and a Washington offense that wasn't really pushing anything downfield. Uh, so I, I think this could be the kind of week where the Colts look like a pretty lousy defense, as many people expect them to be, and a Watson-Hopkins pairing could be an excellent foundation for GPP lineups. Yeah, I will certainly have multiple tournament lineups with uh, with Watson-Hopkins this week. I think it's a, it's a big score for them this week. Yeah, love the setup. Uh, moving to the Colts, uh, interesting. I mean, Andrew Luck is playing. He's out there, but they're throwing the ball really short, uh, pretty much almost all game. He has a 7.8 yards per completion. He per, per completion, he ranks last in the NFL in that stat right now. Um, and that's not yards per attempt. That's yards per completion. So that's uh, just to clarify that in the 7.8, really low. Um, T. Y. Hilton, he uh, he his career uh, yards per catch is usually about is about between 15 and 16. He's at 10.5 yards per catch right now. A lot of targets. He has uh, 32 targets over three weeks, but he's just catching a lot of short passes. This is not the same Colts, Andrew Luck, T.Y. Hilton connection we've been seeing. He did have a five-catch, 175-yard, two-touchdown game as Houston last year, but I'm just worried that they're not running him on the same routes because Luck is not throwing the ball downfield like he used to. Yeah, depth of target was something that I saw on Twitter for Hilton. It's never been shorter than this year, so yeah. clearly there's some physical limitations with Andrew Luck, uh, I kind of made this joke with, with John on the, the season-long pod. I don't think the Colts are, are trying to trick everybody into thinking that Luck can't throw deep anymore. I just think that's the story. He cannot make those throws, and they've had to adjust, which, you know, if they have multiple injuries at the tight end spot, I know Eric Ebron was back at practice today, that could be terrible for their offense. I think they actually need Doyle and Ebron to stay healthy uh, throughout this season if this offense is going to be kind of league average at moving the ball through the air. The only thing that's appealing right now about Andrew Luck is the price just keeps falling. He's 5,500. If you cool. think there's a path for a guy like Hilton to do a lot of damage after the catch, pairing up you know, Luck and Hilton on DraftKings with Luck being that cheap is pretty appealing. 7,300 on FanDuel. You know, it's not like way off when you just kind of look relative to the other quarterbacks, uh, but it just seems so much easier to justify Luck on DraftKings you know, because you get that extra nudge to spend up at one or two other spots. Yeah, it was only one play, but I thought it said something last week that they did have a Hail Mary at the end of the game, and they brought in Jacoby Brissett to throw it just because it didn't seem like Luck could throw the ball that far. Yeah, I mean, may, may, they, I, I hope I hope it's a case where he could, but they were just worried that if he max-efforted a throw like that, it would it would like tear up his shoulder again. But Which is either, problematic I, in itself it, right there. Yeah, you don't feel good about that either. Yeah. So it, it's it's a bad scenario as far as the, the offense having to take a lot of, of shorter dink-and-dunk sort of shots because... Hilton's the kind of guy that has you know, top three, top five wide receiver speed. He's in that Tyreek Hill, Antonio Callaway breakaway speed category, even at this stage of his career. And if you can't take advantage of that, it really makes it harder to sustain drives because you're just never getting those big plays over the top. Yeah, totally. I, I fully agree there. And I think that in that game, I'm going to be more attacking the Houston offense than Indianapolis. Uh, we talked quickly uh, earlier about the Atlanta defense and all the injuries. Uh, Cincinnati's headed there to play in the Dome. Atlanta's a five-and-a-half-point favorite. I think that's a little high, actually. I kind of think Cincinnati covers that. Over-under of 51-and-a-half in this game. Starting on the Bengals' uh, side on offense, uh, 
The Atlanta defense is really struggling, like we mentioned. Last two weeks uh, against quarterbacks, 363 yards and three touchdowns to Drew Brees. 335 and three touchdowns to Cam Newton the week before that. With that being said, Andy Dalton has multiple touchdowns in every game. He has eight through three games. Really nice game script with a high over-under and as an underdog. Uh, are you attacking Andy Dalton at all at, at 7,400? I like him you know, a lot more than, than Tannehill, but I, I don't know if that actually means all that much. I mean... I'm looking at Gio Bernard and the price on him, and I'm thinking, okay, I want Gio Bernard, regardless of how I feel about Andy Dalton, because the price hasn't ticked up enough. Dollar for dollar, I think he's the the second best value at running back on the board. And believe it or not, based on the projections, Elvin Kamara on FanDuel, even though he's 9,100, <laughs> is the best value at running back if that knee injury doesn't turn into anything serious. Bernard is going up against a Falcons defense, missing two key pieces, that's allowed 5.2 yards per carry so far this year, already allowed four rushing scores and four carries of 20 or more yards. This is looking like one of the worst, if not the worst, rushing defense in the league. And I think you have to use Bernard because he's so dynamic as a pass catcher as well. So I think as far as your your obvious plays go, Gio Bernard tops that list, and I'm not hesitating whatsoever to throw him into my lineups. Yeah, and you mentioned the rushing stats, but and we, we talked about them catching the ball in the backfield earlier, but uh, 14 catches of Christian McCaffrey uh, last week, 15 or four, the week before, then 15 to Alvin Kamara last week. I mean, that's 29 catches by receiver, running backs in the last two weeks. It's just crazy. Uh, Bernard had heavy usage last week. He played 57 snaps without Joe Mixon there, so he's clearly the guy when Mixon's not playing. There was a little concern about how much would they use him, but he, they used him a ton. And if they're uh, they're having to catch up in this game, they're a little bit a uh, little bit trailing as a, as underdogs, a five and a half point underdogs. Perfect situation for Bernard. Uh, the other guy I really like in this game, and maybe a little off the radar, is, is Tyler Eifert. He's at forty six hundred on Fanduel, super cheap. Way more involved in weeks two and three. He was kind of not really involved in week one. Eight targets in week three, and for a guy that um, you know his big his big issue is injuries. But while he's healthy, is usually a pretty dynamic guy. Uh, if you want to punt tight end, forty six hundred for Tyler Eifert. I really like this week. Yeah, it, it's like the Jordan Reed effect. Like when Tyler Eifert's healthy, absolutely consider him. The price is very reasonable. Under 4000 on DraftKings, 3800 there. I think if you're going to go cheap at tight end, uh, I like him a little more than Austin Hooper. like him a little more than, I guess, Trey Burton's pretty discounted on DraftKings, too. He's only 3900 So I, I think Eifert is kind of like a top five, top six tight end this week, and he's priced like a, a, you know, a guy that doesn't even belong in the top 15. So you got to take advantage of those savings if you're going to go with one of the pass catchers. Uh, other than Geo, I, I think you're looking at this as maybe the best value in the Bengals offense. Yeah, if I if I don't go Gronk, I think I'm gonna probably jump down all the way to Eifert. I usually like Zach Ertz, but I think Eifert's so cheap that if I don't go Gronk, uh, I think Eifert's probably my tight end in a bunch of lineups. That totally makes sense. There's no Kelsey on the main slate either because the Monday night matchup. Uh, it's 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 kind of a player fade question on Jimmy Graham too. You know, we'll talk about the Packers Bills game, but uh, his price is still very low and. That setup looks like a very good one, but I'm pretty sure everybody is going to be on him at that price. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're probably uh, probably right in that regard. What about the uh, what about the Bengals receivers? We mentioned the, the you know the issues Atlanta has had. They gave up 129 yards to Michael Thomas last week. Three touchdowns to Carolina receivers the week before that. Uh, AJ Green has a little bit of an issue. Uh, the injury issue came out early with last week, uh, but he's expected to play. He's 8500. Tyler Boyd's the inverse at 5800. Uh, are you going to start playing uh, either of these guys with the with the Atlanta struggles in the secondary? Both safeties out this week. No problem at all with A.J. Green. I mean, he's almost matchup proof for me anyway, so I do like it. But this being a higher over under total, everything checks out fine. Tyler Boyd is is tough for me. I mean, I, I kind of like him as like a, a safe cash game play. 
I don't know if I really want to lean on him for tournament lineups, which maybe is overthinking it. Like I, I'm just looking at how how he's being used. And John Ross was the guy that I kind of expected to see take over that number two receiver role. But Tyler Boyd, who at one point was a potential top 15 overall pick, you know, he's the kind of guy that has really impressed me. And, and I think as long as you have A.J. Green commanding so much attention on the other side of the field, Tyler Boyd ends up with a lot of great matchups. The weird, weird John Ross usage this year. He, I thought he was going to be there. You know, they're deep, take the top off the defense guy. He has five catches for 27 yards, 5.4 yards per catch. I, I never would have got to guess that. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if you can throw John Ross out there in tournaments right now with that usage being as, as low as it is. Uh, Boyd, I think, averaging you know close to six and a half targets per game right now. So that role looks pretty stable for him right now. And you know, from a season-long perspective, I think we're at the point where if you don't have a deep bench, you're, you probably either dropped John Ross already or you're at least thinking about it this week if there's a player you need. On the uh, on the Atlanta side, Matt Ryan has been on fire the last two weeks. Uh, four touchdowns in week two. Two of those were rushing, actually, believe it or not. Uh, 31.7 FanDuel points that week. Last week, 374 yards passing against the Saints. Five touchdowns. 40.16 FanDuel points. He won a lot of people money last week. Uh, are you going back to Matt Ryan this week? Are you going back to Julio Jones? Uh, Calvin Ridley had the three-touchdown game last week. Uh, this offense is just clicking on all cylinders right now. It is. Uh, Ridley, I, I think, still offers up you know a pretty fair price for a guy that looks like maybe he's overtaken Mohamed Sanu to be the number two behind Julio. Uh, 6,300 on FanDuel, 4,900 in DraftKings. It's still very affordable, uh, so I, I think you could do that. I think if I'm going to have exposure to Atlanta this week, it probably is a Ryan-Julio combo yet again. I just think the the target share is is ridiculous. I mean, you have to you have to like anybody who's getting that many looks with that kind of ability, even though to this point the Bengals have been pretty good at limiting the efficiency of opposing passers. 6.4 yards per attempt allowed early on here this season. I think Atlanta could expose that defense a little bit. Yeah, I do too. They've had, they've struggled a little bit with wide receiver ones. They've given up three touchdowns to wide receiver ones, but overall been pretty decent. I like Julio too. Only six targets last week. Uh, like you mentioned, he's he's a target share guy, so you got to think that's going to go up this week. And probably another guy that wants the ball a little more in practice this week. Uh, what about Tevin Coleman? He was actually had a pretty poor week last week. Fifteen carries for thirty three yards, really ineffective uh, in their game against the Saints. But Cincinnati last week made Christian McCaffrey look like you know. Todd Gurley, 28 carries, 184 yards rushing. Not something you see from Christian McCaffrey very often. At least we haven't seen his pro career so far. Uh, you like Tevin Coleman all this week? He's priced up at 7,200. He's, he's fully priced for his role right now. But uh, do you like Coleman against the defense? Against defense? Yeah, I don't hate it. At 7,200, I'm probably less likely to use him on FanDuel. 5,900 on DraftKings probably ends up in my lineup over there if I end up playing him. You know, 4.4 yards per carry allowed so far by the Bengals. Uh, Christian McCaffrey's game last week, I did not see that coming whatsoever. <laughs> Clearly, other people did because he popped up as a late first-round pick in the final weeks of draft season, but I'm close to conceding defeat with Christian McCaffrey this, for this year. Yeah, the, the it's either a, a ton of targets or he had 28 carries last week, so it's uh, they their, uh, their promise of getting him heavily involved uh, this preseason is, uh, is certainly uh, certainly working so far. Yeah, I, I didn't think it was going to play out that way, and um, I'm very much regretting that. Uh, I think it's one that you probably need. We probably need more than three weeks to figure out, though. I'd like to see if he can carry the ball that many times uh, week after week. I'd like to see by uh, in week seven, I think maybe you make that determination or not. Yeah, it just feels feels horrible it to does. not have a player that goes off for a game like that so it early does. in the season. It really, it really sucks. It's uh, it's been a weird year. I mean, you look at. 
any teams that you know drafted in the first, uh, except for maybe the last week, you've got David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell that went in the top three and are killing teams already. It's pretty rare that you get running backs who haven't been injured just killing teams that early. I mean, obviously Bell's a you know a, a strange situation, but uh, that's two of the top three guys that are doing nothing. And those are my first round picks in my two NFFC drafts. Uh, I was I did not know that. I was not trying to rub salt in the wound. That was purely <laughs> a, purely accidental. The, the David Johnson team is staying afloat, at least, but the the Lady Bell team is so dead. Yeah, in our uh, in our pentathlon league, we had we have a best ball competition. Uh, I have uh, I have Bell and Jarek McKinnon. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that, that's yeah, that's horrible, horrible timing. Yeah, best uh, best ball or not, uh, that's that's not going to work very well, no matter what. Uh, before we move on to the game that you are attending at Lambeau Field, a, a quick read from one of our sponsors, uh, Fanball. Let's talk about the new daily fantasy site, Fanball, for a second. The number one issue I hear from people who try DFS, it's almost impossible to win for the casual player. There's so many sharks out there playing their 150 lineups, you basically have no shot if you just want to play a lineup or two for fun. That's where Fanball comes in. If the name name rings a bell, yes, it's the same folks behind the season-long site from back in the day. Paul Charchian, who also happens to be president of the Fantasy Sports Trade Association, has brought back the Fanball name, but this time it's a DFS site. He's looking to level the playing field by enforcing low entry limits. In fact, I'm looking at the lobby right now. The most lineups anyone can have in a contest is actually 10. That's a huge difference maker. Plus, they also have snake drafts, which are super fun. I'm told auctions are coming very soon as well to the site. Head over to fanball.com slash rotowire. Sign up and make a deposit of at least $10, and we'll give you a six-month membership to Rotowire. So, Derek, you said you're going to the game in Green Bay this week. They are facing the Bills, coming off that big win against uh, your rival Vikings. Uh, Packers are 9.5-point favorites, over-under of 45. Um, We'll start with Buffalo. Uh, I'm not playing anybody on the Buffalo offense. I know Josh Allen played well last week, but uh, you know was put in good situations by turnovers by the defense. Uh, I'm still not touching anyone this offense this week. I don't blame you. If I did, it would be tournaments, and it would be Kelvin Benjamin because he is very cheap. And the idea that the Bills might have to just air it out a lot, try to keep pace with the Packers offense, absolutely makes sense to me. I uh, I thought that a little bit last week, and he had three catches for 29 yards, but uh, that game script really flipped on me. So it uh, it's not really uh, you can't really uh, compare that. Uh, I thought that uh, I thought that he'd get a ton of looks in the second half. Obviously, didn't work out that way. Uh, he has six catches so far this year for 58 yards. I'm uh, I'm not a Kelvin Benjamin fan. I, I don't blame you. <laughs> it's just uh, it's like someone's got to catch passes there, right? I mean, maybe. I, I, it's easy to avoid it. We only have two teams on by, so yeah. don't don't subject yourself to a Bills pass catcher unless you're playing a hundred lineups. Yeah, I I looked at him last week and I was like, he's just too cheap for the game script, and now he's cheaper. So I I see it. I can get it. Maybe he gets a touchdown in the fourth quarter, but uh, I just think there's other guys I like more. But let's flip over to the Packers side. A lot more interesting. Um, you gotta think the Packers are gonna be super focused this week. You know, they're not gonna take the uh, the Bills lightly after seeing them beat the Vikings last week. Um, I want to ask you about the the Packers backfield. You're the Packers fan. You know, last week uh, t- uh, Williams had Jamal Williams had 30 care or 30 snaps. Ty Montgomery had 20. Aaron Jones had 17. I thought Aaron Jones easily looked the most effective of the backs. Uh, he, I think he had seven, six carries for 42 yards, seven yards a pop. Uh, should be a good game script for Packers running backs, but I just don't know with that split in the backfield whether I can really attack any of them separately. Yeah, the, the split for actual carries was 35% Jones, 29% Williams, 24% Montgomery. Oh. I think it was like eight, eight, seven, and six or something were the counts. It was yeah. kind of absurd, or six, six, five, and four were the numbers. But until McCarthy sees Jamal Williams fail miserably or until Williams <laughs> suffers an injury, I just keep worrying that 
McCarthy prefers Williams mostly because of pass protection, but maybe because of some other reason that we don't know about. Even though Aaron Jones, to everybody, is the more explosive runner. Even that first carry, it looked like he was going to get nothing on the right side. He ended up spinning off a tackle and, and picking up like nine or ten. Like it was, it was such a good run, and it's the kind of thing that Jamal Williams simply can't do. I know when asked about it in the past to Aaron Rodgers is that I hope Aaron Jones is on the field more, which I think is <laughs> Rodgers' very polite way of saying right. this is stupid. Aaron Jones should be playing more, um, but you know he's he's doing it in a in a Aaron Rodgers sort of way. I think when you look at Aaron Jones as a as a fantasy play, I mean in season long he's really tough to throw in. It just comes down to how how fringy is your other flex option in DFS. I, I look at him and think, okay, he's fifty five hundred on FanDuel. That probably keeps people away. Yep. 4,100 on DraftKings probably pulls a few people in. Tournaments only. But if there's a game where they're going to be up and running the ball more than usual, this would probably be it. Like This this, this might be the game where the Packers are the most heavily favored that they're going to be in any game all season. So max carries for the entire group seems possible. And even sharing, maybe there's enough to go around this week for Jones to end up being a very good tournament play. If they were uh, if they were up 10, 14, 17 in the, in the fourth quarter, end of the third quarter, do you think Jones would be the guy that's going to be the one that runs out the clock and is uh, is carrying the load at that point? Uh, you know, as a Packers fan, who do you think would be the the guy if the game script does work out as we see it? It should be Jones because if if Williams is so important for pass protection, you wouldn't expose him to a situation up 10 plus where you're giving him those extra carries unless you're worried about ball security issues with Aaron Jones, which I don't think have been an issue. So I think he's the guy that would get garbage time work if it comes to that. And he can still be productive, even if it ends up being a dozen touches at that price. What about the, uh, what about the Packers uh, pass offense? You mentioned Jeremy Graham earlier. He had uh, he has 15 targets last two weeks. He only had five catches for 45 yards last week, but the targets are there. Rogers really looking at him the last couple of weeks. Uh, you like him this week. Do you like Randall Cobb at all coming off the 11 targets, but not doing much. Uh, Devonte Adams has scored in five straight games going back to last year. Uh, what do you do with the with the Packers offense uh, on the passing side here? If I want to go full stack, I'd go Adams Graham instead of Adams Cobb with Rodgers. Uh, if you wanted to go just one standalone play based purely on you know who's the best value, I think Graham checks that box this week. I think there's some other high end receivers that aren't that much more expensive than Adams that can come close to uh, to matching that production. Yeah, I think that's fair. I was actually surprised that Cobb had 11 targets last week. I think maybe he's a he's an interesting low percentage PPR guy on DraftKings. We get a full point per catch. You might see a lot of underneath work. I was surprised Devontae Adams only has one 100-yard game since the start of 2017. He's have a 99-yard game, so I'm kind of uh, I'm picking nits a little bit. But I was surprised that uh, I thought that number would be four or five maybe. Yeah, I mean, uh, Rodgers has missed a lot of time. Yeah, that's true, <laughs> that's too. That's kind of the – Yeah, it's big. That's kind of part of it, too, for me. And, and when Nelson was there, you know, that rapport – that, that Nelson had with Rodgers, I think, impacted the yardage totals for Adams, too. So moving on to the next game, we have the Lions headed to the Cowboys. Kind of an interesting game. Uh, Dallas has not looked especially good, especially on offense. Their defense has been all right, getting a lot of sacks. But um, Detroit played really well last week, uh, beating the Patriots. Dallas has actually fared by three. I really like Detroit in this game. I think Detroit wins straight up if you happen to be a, a betting person. Uh, Over-under is 44. Uh, starting with the Detroit side, the visitors. Uh, Cowboys passed. He's only allowed 171 yards per game this year. Been pretty good on that side of the ball. Uh, what do you think about on Johnson? Uh, first 100-yard rusher for the Lions in like four and a half years, whatever the stat was. He's 5,700 on FanDuel. He's getting more involved each week. Five, eight, and 16 carries over the last three weeks. Are you in on on uh, kind of going forward as the guy in Detroit? 
price is really low, and I think it ultimately is his job. But even last week, he still shared, shared carries with LeGarrette Blunt. That's been the case week in and week out so far. So I don't think I'm going to buy in this week in particular, but that's more kind of adjusting to what I expect most other lineups to do. I think a lot of people are going to pounce on him at that price, especially the 4400 on DraftKings. He's an impressive player. I, I think there's plenty to like there. Uh, but I still see LeGarrette Blunt as a, a bit of a threat to take on some of that volume. Uh, I'm with you, though, on the Lions. I mean, I, I think Dallas is just a very mediocre team across the board. And after that week one letdown, the Lions, and that they're building up quite a bit of momentum. If you're going to go after any of their pass catchers, has the increased role for Kenny Galladay steered you away from Marvin Jones? Or do you look at Jones as a guy that gets kind of overlooked now based on the way things have been going these first few games? Yeah, game by game, it's really tough. I mean, those three guys really, you know, they split a lot of the receptions. Uh, you know, Galladay's got 28 targets in three games. But you still look at Golden Tate. He still has 36 targets the last three weeks, 65-plus yards in each game. At 6,800, 6, I kind of like Tate uh, the most of those receivers. I think that he gets overlooked at that price. There's other sexier guys in that range. He's just so consistent, so solid. 65 yards, like I said, over each game. I just He has to score a touchdown. If he scores a touchdown, he's a really good play. If he doesn't, you know, you're just going to get the yards. But I think if I had to go with a receiver, I think I'd go, I'd go with Golden Tate at the more expensive price, but at the very much lower percentage than Galladay. And so far, the Cowboys uh, allowing a 97.2 passer rating to opposing quarterbacks. Only 6.6 yards per attempt, three passing TDs, no interceptions. So another one of those defenses where the efficiency numbers are good, but you don't really believe it. Yeah, and it's, it's hard to figure out their receivers. I mean, Jones kind of gets the deep shots. If he hits one of those, you're good. Tate gets a lot of looks underneath. It's uh, it's kind of a week-by-week thing. It's it's hard to figure out which of the guys to use. If you do, maybe you just – if you play multiple lines, maybe just spread them all out. But uh, it's hard to it's hard to hit on which one uh, goes by, especially with matchups and stuff. It's just it, There's no way to tell week-by-week which of the three lines receiver is going to shine. Tate is like a, a less cool version of Jarvis Landry right now. <laughs> That's a, it's a pretty good uh, pretty good way to put it. When you play uh, when you play with Baker Mayfield though, I think your coolness factor just goes up. Yeah, I mean Jarvis Landry was cool in Miami uh, yeah. out of Dolphins team where nobody was cool. So uh, <laughs> that's that's pretty impressive that Baker can even elevate that. Yeah, no doubt there. Uh, moving on to one of the games that was a very low over under. We noted earlier uh, the Jets going going to Jacksonville. Jacksonville off that. Ugly nine to six game. Jets off the uh, the kind of a disappointing loss to the Browns. The Browns' first win in a while. Uh, on the Jets side of the ball, I'm pretty much a full avoid. If I had to play someone, probably Quincy Anunwa, just based on targets and based on game script. If they get behind, they're gonna have to throw a little bit. He has 10, 11, and eight targets over the last uh, over the first three weeks of the season for 29 targets total. He's probably the only guy that uh, I'd even consider and have to be in a tournament setting where I'm really trying to hit on a low percentage dart. Yeah, I mean, if I'm looking for a, a extremely low-owned guy, I might even go cheaper and go Robbie Anderson for 3600 but he's been a big disappointment for me so far this year. I, I didn't really see him collapsing quite like this early on, uh, but I, like you, would prefer to avoid this game. Even the Jacksonville side, I'm just not that excited. I mean, to, to drop an egg like they did last week, I mean, a six-point effort against the Titans at home is just atrocious. The appeal is just that, People don't like them. They're going to stay away for the most part. So your your Bortles Keelan Cole combo could be a very low own combo that is is solid. But I think there's just other pairings I like a lot better. 
just so wild too. I mean, they put up 500 yards on the Patriots the week before, and they go for 230 yards against Jacksonville. Uh, 12 first downs in the whole game. It's just a weird, weird game. Uh, so if Leonard Fournette plays, uh, he practiced on Wednesday. It looks like he's uh, leaning towards playing. TJ Yeldon's a little bit banged up. We don't know if he's going to play. Uh, Carlos Hyde had 98 yards and two touchdowns on the Jets defense last week. Uh, Fournette's 7,700. People might be scared of him with the hamstring. I'm a little bit scared that you know he could play eight carries and then go back out. Uh, are you interested in Fournette at all this week? I'm not. I want to make sure he gets through a game completely healthy first. Yeah. I think the Jags have every reason to be careful with him. So, you know, if he suffers a tweak early on, you're right. I think he could just leave that one early. Yeah, the appeals that you get an awesome player at low ownership. I just think the the risk is enough where I'm staying away. So the Jags defense is priced way up on Fanduel. They're 5,200, easily the most expensive. Uh, they have multiple sacks each week. They have seven sacks through the first three weeks. The Jets uh, offense turned it over three times last week, three times the week before that. They've allowed multiple sacks each week. Uh, are you going to go with the Jags' expensive, chalky defense this week against Sam Darnold? Yeah, it makes some sense, but I think there's some other value defenses. Uh, the Packers against Josh Allen. I mean, like, as much as they've leaked big plays, implied totals for the Jets and Bills are similar. The Bills have allowed twice as many sacks already this season. You know, Allen just as likely to throw picks as Darnold because of the game script. So I think I'd be more inclined this week than usual to try and save up a little bit on defense. I know last week we were locked in on a couple of those really expensive units, but I think the Packers are one of the cheaper teams I'd think about. We'll talk about the Chargers against C.J. Beathard. I think that's kind of interesting, too. Uh, and maybe even as a kind of a cheap, underrated, ignored defense, uh, you and I both like the Texans, but if you weren't using Watson and DeAndre Hopkins, the Colts actually might be one of those defenses that no one likes that ends up being kind of useful. That would uh, that would definitely be uh, off the radar. You're gonna get uh, you're gonna get like under four percent on that one. Yeah, I mean if you're if you're buying the idea that Deshaun Watson is just not quite what he was last year and he's gonna make mistakes. I and mean, you mentioned the garbage time TD last week, and if you're buying into that, the Colts defense is so cheap that you have to at least think about it. So a game that uh, I think is pretty interesting from both uh, you know kind of real football and DFS perspective is the the Buccaneers headed to Chicago. We've got the Buccaneers with Ryan Fitzpatrick. You know the first time ever someone's had uh, someone's had 400 yards in uh, in three straight games. Uh, the Bears defense. You know obviously all the hype with Khalil Mack getting traded there. Some big plays they've made on on defense. I want to start on the uh, on the Tampa Bay side of the ball. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick 7400 this week. Like I said, first quarterback ever to throw for uh, 400 plus yards in three straight games. Mike Evans has been a monster this year. Kind of forgotten. He was a, he was an early uh, like a mid first rounder last year in drafts. Now kind of a, a late second rounder this year after the, dis- the disappointing year with Jameis Winston and some Fitzpatrick. He has uh, 23 catches the first three weeks of the season, averaging over 100 yards a game. He has a touchdown in each game. Uh, are you going back to the Tampa Bay offense at all this week against this tough Bears defense? It'd pretty much be Mike Evans or bust for me. I mean, I think Fitzpatrick's going to see a lot of pressure from the Bears. When the Steelers brought a lot of pressure, that was wreaking some havoc for the Bucks on Monday night. Uh, Evans, you know, just under 8000 on both sides, fairly priced, reasonably owned would be my expectation as well. I have, I have no problem making him a number one receiver this week, but I'm not planning on pairing him with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yeah, and in that range, there's like three or four receivers I like a little bit more. So I don't think I'll have much Evans, but like, kind of like you, I don't, uh, I don't think I have any problem with it. 
On the Bears' side of the ball, um, Tampa Bay's defense is not good. They've uh, they've given up a lot of work to uh, wide receivers. Uh, week one, Michael Thomas had 16 for 180. Nelson Aguilar, 8 for 88 uh, two weeks ago. And last week, Juju Smith-Schuster, 9 for 116. Antonio Brown had 50 yards and a touchdown. Uh, I love Allen Robinson this week, 6,500. Um, a lot of targets against a really bad pass D. He had, uh, he had 14 targets two weeks ago, only seven last week. I'm not convinced that Mitchell Trubisky is any good, and I, the more I watch him, the more I become worried about it. I don't see a lot of times where he drops back in the pocket, plants that back foot, and really throws. I just I think he's more effective when he's kind of getting loose and running a little bit, but uh, I'm not sure Trubisky's that good, but he likes Allen Robinson. He throws the ball to him a lot. At 6,500 against this defense in a game script that could work out really well, uh, I really like Allen Robinson this week. Yeah, I think you can kind of make your, your pick between Allen Robinson or Jordan Howard, I think both could have good games i wouldn't put them both in the same lineup but yep. the bears implied total is close to 25 howard's share of the backfield touches i think is very safe right now he's still got that kind of low-end rb1 high-end rb2 sort of price 7200 on FanDuel, 6800 on DraftKings. i don't think people are all that excited about him uh, but i agree with you on robinson he's just kind of a target monster and i thought this was going to be a more fun offense than what we've seen so far maybe yep, it just takes too. trubisky half a season to get there uh, and Matt Nagy, if he's as good of a tactician as we we assumed, then you know we'll see some adjustments. We'll see some different things in the weeks ahead. But I'm generally looking at one or the other with with Howard or Allen Robinson this week, and I, I think they play both in cash and GPPs. Probably a little more of a cash lean uh, than than tournaments, but I, I would play them in, in both formats if it's just the way the roster came together. Because I like to span the globe and, and hit all the angles. Um, if you're playing uh, DraftKings, I think at 3,900, if you want a kind of punt play at receiver, I think Taylor, Taylor Gabriel is a little bit interesting to me. Ten targets last week, seven the week before that. Um, you know, I think he's a, a guy that you want in PPR. You want the full point catches. He had six catches last week, only 34 yards. But he's a guy that they're going to look to underneath, kind of a quick uh, quick play. And he could he could bust one loose, run after catch. Uh, in a low percentage, uh, low percentage play as a GPP guy, I think Taylor Gabriel at 3,900 is someone that you can get in a really low percentage that might pay off. He's on the field a lot more than I expected. Me like too. If you if you flipped the snap count percentages between Gabriel and Anthony Miller, that would have been what I had kind of had in my mind for them. Yeah. But yeah, Gabriel's been the number two receiver based on usage every single week. So until they get away from that, I think Gabriel is underpriced. And I love Anthony Miller, but he had the separated shoulder last week. He thinks he's going to play this week, but who knows how that works out. You know, you never really know until you take that first hit with something like that. Oh man, I can't even imagine trying to play with a separated shoulder. Uh, I've done it. Uh, I've done it three times, and I can tell you there's no way I'd be playing football a week later. You don't recommend it. Uh, I do not. I could barely lift my arm over my head. Granted, I am not quite the athlete that Anthony Miller is, nor am I quite as good shape as he is. I still can't imagine trying to take a hit on that a week later. That and you're not getting the same drugs that Anthony Miller's getting before that game. Nor, nor the level of treatment. All right, exactly. All, all of the above. Uh, what about the Bears' defense? Uh, they have a minimum of four sacks in each game. They have 14 sacks through three weeks. Really impressive. Tampa Bay gave it three sacks last week. Ryan Fitzpatrick in the first half kind of reverted back to old school Ryan Fitzpatrick. Three uh, three turnovers. He kind of created his own uh, good game script for himself in the second half. They had four turnovers total. Uh, the Bears' D this week uh, going against a, an explosive Tampa Bay offense so far this early. Maybe uh, not as highly percentage owned as last week. 4,300 on FanDuel. You like them at all? I do. I like him even more on DraftKings. Twenty six hundred. Oh wow! On DraftKings. I like them like, a lot there too. Why are the defenses so cheap on DraftKings right now? <laughs> I that's uh, twenty six hundred. That's uh, that's really low for a team that's really been beasting. Yeah, a team that can pile up a ton of sacks, and 
it's so funny too when you look at, at sacks this season. You know, the Bears with 14. Uh, I think they're top and tops in the league at that total. The Raiders have three. They're last. Like, <laughs> who'd have thought it would play out that that way? As John Gruden said, it's really hard to find pass rushers in this league. <laughs> it's really hard to find them. That's right. If you have one already, you don't have to find one. But you know, whatever. Just, just an amazing, amazingly ironic and great quote. I loved it. Yeah, he. I, I bet he let that one go, and, and oh, as yeah. soon as he saw it floating through the air, he's like, "Uh oh." That oh, was, I'm, that was I'm a sure. I'm sure halfway through that sentence, he's like, "Oh man, I'm in a lot of trouble on this one." <laughs> uh, headed down to uh, Nashville for the next game, the Eagles, uh, the champs, headed to uh, play the Titans. Philly favored by four on the road. Over/unders low in this game, only forty-one. Uh, how are you feeling about the Philly offense so far? Carson Wentz came in. They did. Uh, they did win last week. They beat the Colts. Uh, how do you feel about the Philly offense uh, where we're at right now? You know, a lot of rust, a lot of injuries. Ajayi's been hurt. Jeffrey's been hurt. I, I think those are two key pieces in addition to the absence of, of Wentz to start the year. They're going to find their stride. I think if you're going to make a stack this week that is, is explosive but also is very low-owned, I think Wentz Aguilar could work. I think uh, Wentz Ertz could work as well. I mean, just like we said with Rob Gronkowski, because there's no Travis Kelsey, your options are even more limited than usual so it, it's kind of Gronk or Ertz if you're going to pay up Graham is that mid-tier tight end but I have the, the Dallas Goddard tight end uh, tight end score last week <laughs> that killed you if you were an Ertz owner like oh, that yeah. was so infuriating I don't know if that's going to pull anybody away but my my confidence in Zach Ertz is unchanged yeah I mean Ertz at uh, Ertz at 7,000 he has 33 targets as a tight end he has he has over he has double digits in each of the three weeks so very consistent 94 and 73 yards the last two weeks. So it, it's coming. He just hasn't scored yet. Like, you know, if he had a couple touchdowns there, people would be talking about a monster season he's having so far. Instead, it's kind of like, eh, he's been all right. Uh, you got to think the explosion's coming. He works so well with Carson Wentz. Uh, I always love Zach Ertz every week. I just think I like Gronk a little bit more this week. Yeah, I, I do too. I think if you had five lineups, though, you'd probably yeah. at least flip one to Ertz and, and maybe one to more of the cheap tight ends. So uh, I'm definitely interested, even though Goddard got that TD last week. So if you're looking for a, uh, a low percentage under-the-radar defense, the Eagles' D is priced up at 4600 They are not cheap. I think that uh, on the road, they probably will not be very popular. They do have multiple sacks uh, in each game. They've only forced three turnovers all year, though. But this would be more of a play against the Titans' offense. They uh, obviously struggled last week, scoring nine points against the Jaguars. They allowed, they allowed three sacks last week. But more than anything, you know, Blaine Gabbert's hurt. Marcus Mariota isn't healthy, can't throw the ball down the field, which might uh, help him in terms of turnovers. But... It's hard for me to see this offense really exploding, and you got to think if they get behind, they got to make a couple mistakes at some point. Yeah, turnovers uh, do kind of get reduced. Even sack opportunities probably get reduced because it's going to be a very ground-heavy attack. And if the Titans are not sustaining drives early on, eventually the Eagles will put enough points on the board, and they will have to throw it, even if Mariota's not 100%. The types of throws he's going to make will probably be very conservative. Uh, so I'm probably staying away from the Eagles' defense just because I don't think there's going to be as many great opportunities for them to cash in as there should be. And maybe I'm, I'm going to end up whiffing because of it, but um, they just missed the cut for me as far as the defenses I'm going to use. Yeah, I can see that. I think it's a, uh, if you play a lot of lineups, I think it's a low percentage play that uh, maybe they fall into a touchdown, but anybody on the Tennessee offense that you're playing, I looked at Corey Davis. Uh, they just have big quarterback issues. Like we mentioned, he's only 5,400 on Fandle, but 20 targets the first two weeks, only four week three. I just don't like the way this offense is trending right now. I think I'm just going to stay away until I see some sort of spark from this group. Hard pass right now. 3.4 yards per carry allowed uh, by the Eagles defense so far. I mean, Derrick Henry has been getting work. He just hasn't scored yet. I think he's a very touchdown-dependent sort of player. 
nobody likes him anymore. He's 4,100 on DraftKings. So if you want a cheap tournament play, if you expect him to get 18 carries again, maybe break off a long run and find the end zone. Tournament-wise, I think you could do much worse in the low 4,000 range than Derrick Henry on DraftKings. But other than that, I have no interest in this Titans offense whatsoever from a DFS perspective. Yeah, we are we are on board there. Before we hit the afternoon games, a quick note from our other sponsor, uh, Kalo, the functional wedding ring. Kalo is the name in silicone wedding rings. Kalo rings are designed to ensure your hands are safe and comfortable in the workplace, the gym, the outdoors, and everywhere in between. Unlike traditional metal wedding rings, Kalo rings allow you to keep your ring on in times where traditional metal wedding ring would be, need to be removed. Kalo rings allow people to live their lives safely and comfortably while still representing their commitment to their spouse and family. Kalo has created a special code for our listeners. Use code ROTOWIRE at checkout to get 20% off your order. Kalo is the choice of firefighters, military, law enforcement, carpenters, electricians, and mechanics for everyday wear. They're available in 18 different styles and over 50 colors. Kalo is the preferred ring of pro athletes. NFL players Kirk Cousins, Andy Dalton, Jordy Nelson, and Derek Carr, NBA MVPs Steph Curry and LeBron James, and MLB All-Stars Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, and Chris Bryant all trust Kalo on and off the field. Visit Kalo.com. Don't forget to use the code ROTOWIRE at checkout for 20% off your order. I should also note that while Steph Curry and LeBron James are both NBA MVPs, only one of them is a three-time champion over the last four years. It's important that you include that. (laughs) You like that? Yeah, absolutely. It's also a, a good option. If you are uh, the kind of person that maybe like coaches high school soccer, oh, and every know, once I, in a while I, you stand I know a guy, in a goal, I know a guy like that. Yeah, every once in a while, maybe one of your keepers is hurt, so you, as the coach, just step in there for a scrimmage, and and mostly your your goal is to just not hurt yourself, um, <laughs> or or to have your your ring have to get shattered off your finger because I, I got the kind of it's like a I don't know titanium. No, I forget. It's some kind of some kind of carbide thing or whatever. Anyway, <laughs> it, it has to be shattered off if my finger gets jammed up and swells and and that's that's not cool so uh, how, a backup uh, how, soft uh, ring would be nice how are you as a uh, fill-in keeper for your high school team are you are you pretty tough to score on i am awful as a keeper i never played it at all growing up so there's there's absolutely nothing in my technique as a goalkeeper that is good for me or even like safe for my hands like it's it's terrible if i line up and uh, you're in the goal and i'm taking pks how many out of 100 do i score out of a hundred, oh man! Against, after against like you. twenty, after like twenty dives, I'm I'm like kind of <laughs> like dead. So you're put you're putting in those last eighty, but uh, you're probably you should if if you have any any sort of proficiency with your feet at all, you should be able to score about eighty percent of your PKs on me. I I took PKs for my team in high school. Does that help? You're gonna score about ninety five percent of your PKs against me. <laughs> I was hoping for a little more goaltending prowess from you. I mean, I'll, I'll guess right. I'm kind of tall, and I'll I'll accidentally like catch a piece of one here and there. But um, yeah, I'm a terrible keeper. Uh, headed on to the uh, next game, uh, Seattle going to Arizona. Kind of a gross game here. Over unders 39. We mentioned this one as one of the uh, lower over unders when we were kind of talking about the overall slate earlier. Seattle's favored by three uh, af- off the win at home against Dallas last week. Uh, what are you doing with the Seattle offense? I really can't get much of a handle on them. Chris Carson, after not playing much the first two weeks, 44 uh, snaps total, had 50 snaps last week, 32 carries, 102 yards against Dallas. Uh, running backs have been killing Arizona, 35.4 FanDuel points per game, number one in all the NFL. Uh, what are you doing with the Seattle offense? I'm, I'm having trouble kind of figuring out if they're not so good, kind of average, maybe a little bit better than average. I don't love what I've seen, but last week was a little better. I'm kind of I'm kind of trouble on this offense. Yeah, I'm erring on the side of staying away, even with the heavy Carson workload last week. I mean, I'm looking at this 
this matchup as a whole, and with David Johnson priced down with Seattle giving up 5.1 yards per carry this season, uh, I think David Johnson makes plenty of sense, especially in cash games. But I don't know if I like anything in the Seattle offense. If I had to make a play here, I keep going back to Tyler Lockett week in and week out. So long as Doug Baldwin is out, I kind of just think Tyler Lockett's going to get his. But this week is not really a matchup that I like. I'll probably see a lot of Patrick Peterson. Coming, sticking with Seattle for one second, Josh Rosen's going to be starting for Arizona. Uh, do you attack the Seattle defense at all? They stepped up big time last week, but that was at home. They're, they've always been a different team at home. They had five sacks and three turnovers against the Cowboys. Uh, they do get the uh, Rosen making his first start. Uh, Cardinals allowed four sacks and had four turnovers last week. Granted, a lot of that was Sam Bradford uh, dropping the ball, throwing the ball around. Uh, do you like the Seahawks D at 4,400 as someone kind of to uh, maybe uh, stray away from those home defenses that are more popular? It's okay, not great. Um, I just think this is a team that doesn't have that same uh, explosive big play personnel on defense that we are so accustomed to. I think that that takes away some of the appeal. Arizona hasn't been uh, horrible on the offensive line as far as pass protection goes. And I think they're going to come up with a game plan. At least I'm hopeful they'll come up with a game plan that includes a lot of quick, short passes, dumping the ball off to David Johnson, getting Johnson heavily involved on the ground right away, You know, having Fitz run those short and intermediate routes. Uh, and maybe even getting a guy like Ricky Seals-Jones more involved as well. So your uh, your game plan right there for Arizona is kind of what I think is going to happen too. I agree with you there. But the guy that I really like is Christian Kirk. Uh, eight targets last week. He's 5,400 on FanDuel. He is only 3,700 on DraftKings. Eight targets last week, seven catches for 90 yards. More than anything, he had a good rapport with Josh Rosen in the preseason. They're both rookies. They both kind of you know, came up together in camp, all that kind of stuff. Um, I love Christian Curry. I liked him coming out of college last year from Texas A&M. He got picked in the second round. Uh, he's someone I'm really looking at this week. I think he's a possession guy, so I like him a little more in DraftKings where you get PPR, and he's only 3,700 there. He's a, he's a prime play for me on DraftKings this week. Is he kind of like this week's Calvin Ridley? You know, price relative to expected targets being so low that you just feel pretty obligated to throw him in there as your third receiver or as the flex? Yeah, he he really is. I really like him at the price. Uh, we talked about Ridley last week, and that one obviously worked really well. Uh, we talked about K- Taylor Gabriel at 3,900, who we like, but I think I like Kirk more at 3,700. I just think that I think 8 to 10 targets are pretty locked in as long as the, the game script, you know, Arizona's not going to get far ahead. I don't think that's going to be any kind of risk with their offense. I just think Rosen, you know, checks down to him, short passes, slants, outs, that sort of thing. I think he's going to get a lot of work. And uh, at 3,700 as a receiver, I just want work. I want targets. That's going to turn into good production. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a nice price on him. And I'd, I'd be more comfortable taking that discount than even paying like 5000 flat on DraftKings for Larry Fitzgerald or 6400 on too. FanDuel for Fitz. Because I, 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 think, I think the Seahawks can find ways to slow Fitz down a little bit, but Kirk might present more of a matchup problem for them. Yeah, and I got to think that Pete Carroll's going to game plan for David Johnson. Teams are stacking the box. Last two weeks, he has 13 carries of 48 yards, 12 for 31. I know that he did catch the touchdown last week. They're using him a little more in the passing game, but still hasn't topped 70 total yards in any week. Uh, I just think Carroll's going to game plan for them and just kind of leave Kirk for 8 to 10-yard passes all day, and I think Rosen's going to take advantage of it. Yeah, that, that absolutely makes sense. And, yeah, maybe it's one of those days Rosen throws it 35 or 40 times for 235, 240 yards, like kind of a light yardage total, but – doesn't make a lot of mistakes, high completion percentage. It's kind of the the best path to success for Arizona if Seattle overplays the run. Yeah, that's what I would do if I were Arizona's coach. That doesn't always work out for NFL coaches compared to what I would do. But uh, at 3,700, it's it's hard to go really wrong. He'd have to really go zero to really hurt you. Yeah, yeah, he would. 
Uh, moving on to the next game, kind of interesting. Uh, you know, wasn't as interesting last week, but now it is. Cleveland um, headed to the uh, O.co to face the uh, Oakland Raiders. I think it's actually just the Oakland Coliseum now. I think they, they dropped that sponsorship there. But uh, Baker Mayfield taking over as quarterback, you know, had his moments where he looked really good on Thursday night against the Jets. Did have a, a couple of mistakes that, that playing in the end zone that should have been intercepted could have changed the game and would have changed the narrative, but obviously brought a lot of excitement, a lot more firepower to this offense. Um, are you talking attacking the Cleveland offense all uh, offense at all now that Bay, that Mayfield's uh, at the helm? I do I do want to do that. I mean, I think the only thing you're a little worried about is that it's on the road. It can be a pretty hostile environment. Often is a hostile environment. Uh, but Baker is very affordable on both sites. The Raiders are giving up a 105.2 passer rating thus far this season. So you know six TDs against one pick allowed. Uh, you got 8.7 yards per attempt as well. So it's yardage, it's touchdowns. I know the Rams in week one got him for a good chunk of that. But everything kind of passed the eye test for me with Baker Mayfield when he took over for Tyrod Taylor. You know, you mentioned Jarvis Landry and Antonio Callaway as, as two guys that do completely different things, but they both find ways to get separation. And I think Mayfield is much better suited than Tyrod Taylor to take those longer shots downfield to a guy like Callaway, which is where so much of that appeal in Callaway comes from, especially with Callaway's low price. So if you were looking to stack Browns, it's those three, right? It's Mayfield, it's Landry, it's Callaway, and you're hoping for three or four TDs just split over those two guys, and it could be a huge week for you. Yeah, I mean, Landry is uh, still only 7,000 on FanDuel, you know, 37 targets for three weeks. He had 15 targets last week in the in the Baker Mayfield game. A lot of those were with Mayfield. Eight catches for a buck oh three. Almost scored on a really nice catch. He caught about the two yard line. Um, they, uh, you know, the Raiders. The Raiders allowed four touchdowns to Miami receivers just last week. I mean, they got thrashed last week against the receivers. But uh, I love uh, I love going Landry. You know, maybe not with the stack, but if I was going to start stack someone, you know, Mayfield Landry is really interesting. Mayfield Callaway. If you want to go a little more per- low percentage off the radar, although you, as you mentioned before, Callaway's so cheap that maybe his uh, percentage goes up a little bit there. Uh, it's an interesting uh, interesting game to attack. What about uh, what about Carlos Hyde? He scored every week. 22, 16, and 23 carries the last three weeks. Um, Oakland uh, did, played against the rush really well last week, but Miami is a weird game. They ran, like, no plays the whole game. Everything was a passing touchdown in, like, two, three-play drives. They gave up 170 yards, 107 yards to Phillip Lindsay in week uh, two, and then uh, 108 to Todd Gurley the first week. Uh, it sounds like you like the, the Browns' passing game more than going with Hyde, though. Just a little bit. Um, I mean, I think there's an argument to be made for Hyde, and, and you've absolutely presented a good one. 5.1 yards per carry allowed these first three games for the Raiders' defense, so they're just soft defensively across the board. Hard to imagine a team that traded away the best defensive player in the league has issues on defense, but <laughs> here we are. Um, so I, I think for me, it's just I don't play enough lineups to where I'm going to end up getting down to Hyde, but I, I don't have a strong argument against him at all. I think he's very fairly priced. Anything on the uh, on the Oakland side of the ball that you like? Uh, offense has been a little up and down. They did put up a lot of yards against Miami last week. Jordy Nelson, uh, you know, broke out in a big way. He had like 108 yards in the first five minutes. It felt like it was all in the first quarter. He had a big, huge uh, two, two, a touchdown and a big long catch. Uh, are you doing anything with the Raiders' offense uh, against the Browns? I'm not. I don't really believe in this team at all right now, and that's maybe a mistake on my part because their implied total at 24 is sitting at the same level. Uh, as Cincinnati, it's right in the same range as the Bears going up against the Bucks uh, and the Colts going up against the Texans. So they're they're in the top half in terms of expected output, and I just I don't really like anything I'm seeing right now from them. Yeah, we definitely disagree here because uh, I don't like any DFS wise, but I think the Raiders win this game. I actually think they're one of the better bets on the board, minus two and a half at home. 
Yeah, I, I think unless Baker does some insane stuff, the Raiders can win. <laughs> I just I, I have a hard time figuring out like what they're going to do with Cooper. I do too. You know, how heavy of a workload Marshawn Lynch is going to get if it's going to be efficient. This this is one of those games where I'm looking at it. And I'm like, how do I how would I not take the under? Like if I'm in Vegas, this, this would be the easiest bet the under game possible. Yeah, I mean, you look at Marshawn. He has a touchdown in each game, but you know, last two weeks were 18 for 65, 19 for 64. You know, pretty gross from an efficiency standpoint. You know, good game script. They are a home favorite, and you know, could carry the ball in the second half if they get a lead on on the Browns. But he's just, you know, 6400. He's kind of middly priced. It's just there's just not a lot of high upside explosion in his game right now. It's like Derrick Henry, but with touchdowns. That's what yeah. Marshawn Lynch has been doing. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty good one. I, I'm pretty much staying away from this offense too. I think they I think they'll put up points, but I think it's spread around enough that from a fantasy perspective, it's not much to attack for us. Yeah, like Jalen Richard on a 70-yard screen, the typical Raiders stuff. Yeah, like that that's that's so hard for me to to get invested in. So next game is uh, my 49ers going without Jimmy Garoppolo headed to uh, the uh, I think it's still the StubHub Center in uh, in LA to face the Chargers. Chargers are minus 10 over unders about medium here about 46. I don't really know what to do with this game. It's going to be hard to tell what C.J. Beathard's going to do. Uh, they, they do really like him. Kyle Shanahan likes him. He was in the offense all of last year, started some games from last year, been involved in the training camp all this year. So knows the offense really well. They say good things about him, but you kind of have to do that when uh, when a backup guy's coming in. But showed a few sparks last week. I think Matt Breed is probably the most interesting guy to me on the Niners just because of a game script perspective. 6,400 on FanDuel. Um, he's the guy rather than Alfred Morris that might get checked down to a lot, especially if they're trailing in the second half. Bethard's probably more likely to check down than Garoppolo is. Garoppolo's more likely to kind of fit in tight windows down to a receiver where, uh, you know, Bethard's probably going to make the smart play and, and check down. Uh, could be a lot of PPR in the backfield. I probably like him more in a DraftKings setup than FanDuel, though. You broke it down perfectly. It's <laughs> Brita only for me, and it's DraftKings only for Brita at this point. Uh, I mean, they, they could be playing catch-up throughout the second half, and the question, I think, really just becomes what kind of interest and exposure do you want with that Chargers offense because they are expected to be among the highest scoring teams this week, second only to Kansas City in the implied totals. Yeah, I mean, Phil Rivers, uh, 7,800 is a really nice play to me. The 49ers have allowed 300-plus uh, yards on average to, uh, to quarterbacks so far, giving up eight touchdowns to quarterbacks so far in the year. And Richard Sherman's out this week. He played really well last week against the Chiefs, and he was kind of the only guy that did. Especially, and the week before, too. I guess Sherman came out a little bit early last week, but the week before, I uh, played really well. He's been really good, but he's out. Um, Akella Witherspoon has looked terrible, and he's going to be the he's the number one corner right now. Uh, the backups haven't looked good. The only issue for me, I guess, on Rivers is uh, if they get a lead and they don't, you know, he doesn't throw the last 20, 22 minutes of the game. But uh, I think, yeah, I think he's going to put up lots of stats while he's there. Uh, I like a Rivers Allen stack this week. I just wonder how uh, how many other people are going to like that too. It, it's probably like the preferred cash game stack at least. Yeah, I you, think so too. You, you throw out the ownership concerns. I, I think game script's a little less of a concern in the cash game scenario too. I mean, if they're going to get to that total of twenty eight, Rivers is going to be a big part of the reason why they get there. Uh, so I think that's probably where I'm at with cash games is loading up those two guys as my first quarterback receiver pairing. And then if I'm looking at, at tournaments, that's that's where the, the Watson Hopkins thing is probably at the top of my list this week. Yeah, we talked about uh, Gronkowski with the kind of the stud guy with back to back bad games. Keenan Allen, six for 67 and three for 44 the last two weeks. Still on 15 targets, though, so still really involved. Uh, just a note, he didn't practice on Wednesday. It sounds like he's going to be fine to play, but just keep that in mind as you're kind of tweaking your lineups towards the weekend. Uh, we talk about game script, and we talk about um, the Chargers as a favorite. Uh, do you look to Melvin Gordon? Priced way up on FanDuel, 8700 uh, The rush D's for the 49ers have been way better than the past D. 
But like I said, great game script. Could be running the ball the whole second half. He hasn't topped uh, 15 carries yet, but a lot of that's game script. He's been involved in the passing game. He has 24 targets so far this year. Uh, is Gordon a, a cash game guy to you? Kind of a safe floor guy that will see a lot of work? I think he's pretty safe, but I don't think I'm going to do it because okay. of the prices on David Johnson and Gio Bernard in particular. I just think that when you're saving so much money on two guys that are going to get heavy usage and in, in good matchups of their own, I just think there's no reason to go over the top with Gordon, who may yield some of those second-half opportunities to Austin Eckler again if this game gets as out of hand as the line suggests. Yeah, that's a really good point on Eckler. He's, uh, he's very effective, too. Uh, the Chargers have allowed 42.4 FanDuel points per game to wide receivers, second-highest in the NFL. Uh, with that being said, are there any of the 49ers receivers that you might uh, think about taking this week with Beathard? Mm, no yeah <laughs> I don't think I, so. i'd like to answer it differently too i just don't know uh he hit goodwin a couple long plays last week if i wouldn't go anybody it'd probably be goodwin at 5500 maybe if i play a bunch of lineups and i want to throw one or two in a tournament but uh, i'd like to see a game with Beathard just kind of see how the game plan adjusts and changes with him as a pair as opposed to garoppolo uh, i think i'm probably just kind of letting that sit for a week too yeah i mean goodwin in the same kind of tournament logic that I would use to think about a Robbie Anderson, it's sort of like that with Marquise okay. Goodwin. And maybe Goodwin checks in a little bit ahead of Anderson because of the way there are other receivers currently ahead of Anderson with the Jets, whereas Goodwin, when healthy, should be their one. So it's it's like a fifth or sixth lineup dart. And as I said at the top, going to a game that has an early kickoff, I don't think I'm going to have that many that many balls in the air because I'm going to have uh, you know tailgate food and tailgate <laughs> drink in my hands it's gonna be very hard to make lineup adjustments this week now i've been to lambo once that's a good tailgate spot do you guys have like a big tailgate setup what's your do you guys like you're going full bore yeah 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 but go with my in-laws my mom's right. coming up this year too so it's gonna be a nice group of, of six of us and i think because my mom's never come along with our group because it's my in-laws side that always has the tickets right they're gonna go all out they're gonna oh, go nice. you know extra everything they, they, they tailgate and it's like we were going to have uh, burgers and tequila chicken and chicken wings and taco dip. And it's like, how do you how do you make all this stuff for, for four to six people? But always a good time. And uh, yeah, my my in-laws do it right. They've uh, they've had tickets forever. So they they they've got everything down to a science by now. If anybody has uh, is a football fan and you are if you're listening to this podcast, if you have not been to Lambeau Field, put it on your bucket list now and move it to the top. It is a really fun place to go. Yeah, and all I'm hoping for this week, I mean, aside from like the Packers playing well and, and winning, is that rain holds off until after the game. Like, yes. I just, as much as I love going to games there, I do not want to stand in the rain for five hours on Sunday. Like, like the tailgate plus the game in the rain would kind of twist that to be a little less enjoyable than it will be if it's like 55 or 60 and just kind of like a nice fall day. I went to, uh, I went, I obviously live in California, so not something I go to often, but I went there once. I was at a wedding in Minnesota and I figured I had to do it the next day. So we drove to Green Bay. Uh, it was about this time of year. I think it was the last week of September against the Chargers. I did not uh, have to put a jacket on and I had, I had shorts on the whole game. It was so lovely. Yes. You, you often get lucky in September going there. October is a little bit of a, a throw of the dice. And by November, you know, you're just kind of thinking, is it going to snow or is it going to just be cold? <laughs> like you, you know what you're getting late in the year. This is that time where it's still usually pretty nice. I'm not sure I could sit in 20 degrees in snow for four hours. I'm not sure that my California mind or body is uh, going to be able to deal with that. You know, I had some friends yesterday tell me that you need a beer blanket, and uh. I've never heard anyone describe it as that, but that's <laughs> certainly one one tactic to help uh, get you through those December games. That 
those are rough. I, I, I have a long drive back, so I'm obviously I'm not not boozing very hard at all when right. uh, when I got to drive all the way back two and a half hours to Madison. And, and that's what makes those December games so rough. I mean, if, if you had a hotel or something up there and you're just going to walk back to your hotel, great. You know, throw throw on two beer blankets. You're, you're going to be fine. <laughs> but uh, it's it's tricky if you have to go all the way back to Milwaukee or Madison afterwards. So uh, last game of the day, and uh, we saved a, a really fun one for the last game, and it's a really interesting game. Uh, the Saints at the Giants. Uh, New Orleans is favored on the road by three and a half, over under 50, second highest uh, over under on this slate. The Saints offense is clicking right now. Drew Brees is completing 80.6% of his passes, which seems literally impossible, but it's not. Uh, nice game script. They're a, a small favorite, but a high over under. Alvin Kamara, 9,100 fan duels. I mean, he had 20 freaking targets last week. I don't running back, 20 targets. I'm not sure I've ever seen that. I think it was the highest ever since they've been tracking running back targets. He's been over 100 receiving yards in two of the three weeks. 31 touches last week. Another great game script. Between Breeze and Kamara and Michael Thomas, all fully priced, what the heck do you do with the uh, the Saints in terms of kind of trying to figure out who to use and who not to use? I think we're kind of in the same boat as last week where yeah, you we can are. kind of art, you can look at both and say, I would like both. I probably can't afford both, so maybe I want to split up my ownership kind of evenly between those two players across all of my lineups. I think the question is, are there enough cheap pieces you like at the other positions to where you can get away with this as easily as you could in the past few weeks. Because some of those obvious cheap plays that like we talked about earlier aren't really on the board right now. Maybe we'll get some surprise news between you know now and kickoff on Sunday, and that'll shake things up a little bit. But I think that's actually the biggest challenge, is just getting the secondary pieces to be as, as great as you have been able to get them in the first three weeks this season. Yeah, and especially at the running back position. I think you can find some at tight end and wide receiver, but you need a couple, at least one cheap running back to be able to play, um, you know, Breeze, Kamara, and Thomas. And I just, uh, aside from Gio Bernard, it's hard to find anybody at least below that price that you can kind of slot in and feel pretty good about. At least for, I mean, for cash games especially, maybe you can just go with like a a pass-catching specialist type back for that second spot. Um, In in, in like other games, I mean, like if you believe the carry-on Johnson workload is there, or if you think Sonny Michelle is going to get plenty of work on DraftKings at 44 and 4,500. Those guys pair pretty well with Kamara. Uh, Kenyon Drake kind of pairs well with him too. If you're if you're on board with the different ways that he could bounce back this week, he's only 5,200. But I just think that's the key to using Elvin Kamara this week is finding the counterweight cheap running back that you feel good enough about role wise and output wise. Maybe Lamar Miller at 5,000 flats another option just because you know the workload's pretty safe. But it's just not the easy, hey, this guy's obviously going to carry the ball 15-plus times and, and be involved in the passing game sort of fallback this week at the running back position. So on the other side of the ball in this game, I think it gets really interesting. Uh, I loved Odo Beckham last week. We talked about him. Uh, he was 9 for 109, super involved, didn't score. So, you know, while he wasn't a disappointment, I was I was hoping for a little bit more. But here's a couple of stats for you on the, on the Saints' defense against wide receivers. Um, they have allowed 55.3 FanDuel points per game to wide receivers, which is 13 points more than anybody else in the NFL so far. In addition, if you look at receiving yards just by receivers – the second highest uh, receiving yards allowed is 649 by the Steelers. The Saints have allowed 843 yards to receivers through three weeks. Yeah, 11.2 YPA to opposing passers, a 10-to-1 TD to interception ratio, a 141.7 passer rating. I mean, 158.3 is perfect. Yep. They're at 141.7. That and, is amazing. And they face and, they face Tyrod Taylor in there, too. So it's not like they got, you know— Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, Joe Montana. It's Ryan Fitzpatrick, Tyrod Taylor, Matt Ryan. 
that yeah and that's what like makes me kind of confident that Eli could actually be decent and yep. you know the offensive line's been a problem but I think they've got enough weapons to to figure it out maybe missing Evan Ingram this week hurts him a little bit but Beckham Sterling Shepard they're they're both in play for sure I don't think I'm on Rhett Ellison as anything more than just like a blindfold GPP sort of dart I don't think the Giants look at Ellison and do any of the same things they would do with Evan Ingram on the field. I mean, the, Evan Ingram's like having an extra receiver. Red Ellison's just like playing a normal tight end. Right. So uh, I, I think it's going to be it's going to be interesting to decide if you want to include Eli as a part of that, or if you just think you're getting enough of the production using any one of of Beckham, Shepard, or even Saquon Barkley. Because I I don't think the Saints are going to blow the Giants out. And even if they were, I think Barkley is going to get a ton of catches again in that sort of scenario. It's hard to predict, you know, huge, gigantic lines, but if someone's going to go for, like, 9, 150, and two touchdowns this week, for me, it's Odell Beckham. I, I love everything about this, and it's always scary when you get kind of that perfect matchup, perfect game script, but I think Odell Beckham's due for a huge game. I think we're going to get a monster game this week. It's going to be way higher owner owned than it was last week, but I think you're going to see, I think he's got a chance at a 30-plus point game in fantasy. Yeah, I know he's only one guy, but how does a defense with Marshawn Lattimore on it be this bad? against the past like that that just seems impossible yeah i mean 843 yards of receivers through three weeks is just it's just freaking bonkers and they've given up i think it's uh 1127 yards something now yeah 1100 oh 1037 yards to, to quarterbacks so i mean they've just been getting toasted like we said one of those is tyrod taylor he only had 246 yards the other two guys just killed him the other interesting guy is sterling shepherd you mentioned him earlier uh, you know, seven targets each of the last two games. I think no Evan Ingram is really the – he's the really the, the benefactor from that one. Kind of those underneath crossing routes that he'll get. All the same matchup stuff that Odell Beckham has, but 2,600 t- cheaper on FanDuel. Uh, I think I'll have a Sterling Shepard in a bunch of lineups this week. The more I look at Shepard and the way he's priced, I think he'll be the chalky receiver that I initially thought Antonio Callaway would be, even though yeah. Callaway is at, like, the salary floor on FanDuel. I just think – especially on DraftKings, under 5K for a guy like Sterling Shepard is going to pull in a ton of ownership because he's one of those pieces, as receivers go, that opens up Michael Thomas on the other side or opens up a path to Antonio Brown if you're including the Sunday night slate. Uh, so I think that's where that's where things get really interesting with Sterling Shepard. It just gives you all that flexibility to get that high-end player, either at receiver or running back, that you desperately want. Yeah, no, I I agree completely. And if you uh, if you're looking for a way to get Kamara, Kamara, and you know you go from Beckham down to Shepard, and suddenly it becomes a little more interesting. You can you can kind of game stack uh, this New Orleans uh, New York game pretty well and, and come out pretty nicely. Yeah, I mean you could go uh, maybe pull off like a opposite side thing where you go like Thomas and and Barkley, and you could do Kamara and Shepard. There's a couple different combos you could put together that you like would really like from this game. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to attack this game from both sides, like you said, pretty good. It uh, should be a fun game to watch. I like that it's an afternoon game, so you can kind of uh, you can kind of build your stats late and maybe catch up on some people. But uh, that's kind of it for the uh, for the main uh, main slate. Anybody else that uh, you wanted to hit or talk about uh, that we didn't quite get to? You know, I'm pretty excited about the Sunday night game as well. I think the Ravens' offense with a healthy Joe Flacco and that new receiving core is, is trending in this range of actually being kind of fun to watch and kind of legit. Um, you know, John Brown, I think, is a guy that I really like in that game quite a bit. He's still very affordable, uh, kind of like a, a lower end wide receiver two and maybe priced like a high end three. Uh, so if you are playing that slate, he's one of those guys I would definitely want to get in in tournaments because I like the way they've been using him. 
Yeah, Pittsburgh's getting pretty thrashed against uh, against receivers and quarterbacks too. Uh, that Monday night game's interesting too. Uh, Kansas City going to Denver, tough place to play, especially at night. You think Denver's got a chance to uh, upset them? Yeah, I mean, I, I think home dogs on Monday night are always kind of interesting. Uh, this is a great test. I think it'll be it'll be one of those scenarios where if this game if this game were on the main slate, somehow I feel like Patrick Mahomes would be under owned again. <laughs> and we don't have to go through it. So it's just kind of a kind of a gift to to everybody building lineups to not have that uh, to worry about, you know, trying to figure out, like, am I playing or am I fading Tyreek Hill? Am I playing or am I fading Patrick Mahomes? You, you kind of just enjoy this game unless you're playing a slate that includes Monday or unless you're playing some kind of, like, showdown slate. Yeah, I think if you uh, if you happen to own Cam Newton in season long, I think Case Keenum's a really good pickup. Uh, Chiefs have allowed 1,127 yards to quarterback so far, and you know even uh, Garoppolo last week before he got hurt was playing pretty well. Had 250 yards, two touchdowns. The Niners had 400 yards against the Chiefs, so uh, I think Denver actually wins that game on Monday night. I think it's a it's a pretty uh, a pretty decent size upset. They're like five point underdogs, so not a huge upset, but I think they're going to win that game at home. Yeah, Emmanuel Sanders, probably the, the pass catcher I like the yeah. most right now in Denver. We talk about him and Demarius Thomas almost every week. Prices are still very affordable there. Uh, I think you're right about Keenum as far as season-long pickups go. If you haven't scooped up your cam backup, uh, going at Kansas City's defense, especially with Keenum at home, is a really nice setup. Yeah, a nice game script. Obviously, Mahomes and the Chiefs are going to score, so I think it sets up well. But anybody else that uh, you want to discuss before we get out of here? I think we covered everybody. You yep. know, I think we did uh, a pretty good job hitting each and every game here. Cool. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening to the Rotowire NFL DFS podcast for week four. We do appreciate you uh, tuning in. Uh, if you want to hit us up on Twitter, ask some questions, or uh, talk about stuff we want to uh, cover next week. Also, follow us on there. We'll probably uh, some late updates if weather affects games or we change mind on stuff or uh, you know injuries change matchups, that sort of thing. Derek is at Derek Van Riper, all one word. I am at Scott Jenstead, all one word. Jenstead is J-E-N-S-T-A-D. Uh, again, if you could please rate or review the podcast, we would greatly appreciate that. Also, uh, other than that, we'll catch you uh, next week for week five. Hope everybody has a great week. Take care. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.